Hello everybody and welcome to Brew Vegan Brew. <laughs> Come on, I have to stick on the original. So hello everybody and welcome to Broom Vagoon, your weekly dose of bicycle, bicycle people and bicycle stories. Together with you, Stefano, aka Calamaro, that is gonna walk with you together for the whole season, talking about mostly glover, uh, gravel, gravel rides and gravel people, gravel event and gravel stuff. Yes, that's what ha what is gonna happen this season. I think that you heard about that already, you listened to that already at the first official episode of the season, my manifesto, even if I was talking about that before and stuff, so it's not a problem for that. And uh, yeah, you can hear that I'm pretty uh, tired today, it was a pretty tough day and also according to the fact that I crashed with the bicycle on Friday and I still have some bandages on my hands because as you know, I'm not really a rider that uses gloves on the hands, but yeah, now I have this problem. And unfortunately also uh, got the crash with the 3T that at the moment uh, is at Zurich Cycle Store at the Dennis shop. At the moment they have to check everything because this weekend I'm gonna be in France in Ancy riding La Resistance. And in order to say that, I have also to say thank you to my sponsor, that is 3T, that is providing me with a bicycle, the 3T Explorer, in order to do this amazing event this year. Don't forget to send me your feedback, because this is pretty important for me. And I'm talking about my contacts. Hello at calamaro.cc. This is my email. Or instagram.com slash calamaro.cc or even better, twitter.com slash readcalamaro, facebook.com slash calamarocc, and don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. Uh, you cannot do it on Spotify, but just put some hearts here and there. Go on Spotify and look for Broom Vagoon, Broom Vagoon, if you are an English speaker and you can understand my accent. And just listen to it over there, usually a link on the Spotify thing, because Spotify, everybody has Spotify around. Or otherwise, Apple Podcasts, go to your iPhone or iPad or also on iTunes and look for Broomwagon. There, yes, that you can subscribe to my channel and then you will receive all, every, every, every new episode. So all episode directly on your phone and you can listen to my voice that is a bit tired today, but usually it's pretty, pretty happy and sounds really good. That's what I say, because I like my voice, actually. Otherwise, I would not have this podcast. Otherwise, you can go on Spreaker, Spreaker.com slash calamaro and there you will find all my episodes. It's actually the platform that is hosting my podcast, and it's really fine. Just decide where you want to listen to me, but the important thing is that you have to listen to my episodes around, and you have to share it. Please share it, and once that you are sharing my episode in every social media, maybe just use hashtag CalamaroCC, so I will recognize you. And even if you don't want to write at me directly because you are shy, well, I will really recognize you and I will be happy. And maybe in the future I will send you some stickers. Damn it, before my events, I need to print some new stickers. Do you want some new stickers, guys? Just send me your requests and we will figure it out how to give some back to you. Go into the topics because we have a huge, amazing, amazing 
character to interview. I already did it, just done it uh, this today. But really great character to interview today. And yeah, because I believe that actually in order to talk about gravel rides, you need to talk with the organizer of the best gravel rides around. Last year, I did it with Paul Arrington, who is the guy who is organizing the Grinduro here in Europe. is one of the main characters of gravel events here around. And he mentioned me and you guys for the first time, the biggest race around gravel race is the Dirty Kansa. Dirty Kansa, that is, as I was saying, the biggest race about gravel and was mentioned this year all around the world. So I interview one of the, one of the organizer, I'm talking about Leland. He just told me how to spell it, Leland, and uh, he's here together with me. I cannot snap my fingers because my hands are completely fucked. So listen to that. Ah, yeah, today we are probably tackling the big hit because we were saying that this year was supposed to be about gravel and nothing is most important and most epic in the gravel world than the Dirty Kansas 200. And today I'm here together with one of the organizers. I'm here together with Lelan. Hi, Lelan, how are you doing? For sure, I miss, I'm mistaking the pronunciation of your name, isn't it? Uh, it's Leland. Leland, sorry, yeah, man. Which is, it's a very uh, English pronunciation, so <laughs> that's yeah. uh, not a problem. But yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. No, no, no. I'm super, super happy. Actually, I contact Leland the first time, the first time directly from the website on, because I want to have, you know, this kind of thing, one of the biggest events about Gravel World on my podcast. And you answer me after probably 15 minutes. So thanks a lot to be here. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, great. So, yeah, probably we can start from, a, from the beginning, Leland. How are, yeah. you, how are you first and who are you second? Yeah, well, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, our event is the first weekend after Memorial Day in the United States, which is usually 1st of June or end of May. So the event was just a few months ago this year, but we're, of course, hard at work planning for 2019, 2019. And um, I'm one of, I'm technically the events manager here, but uh, I run Dirty Kansas Promotions with a few other partners. And uh, we've been doing this for 13 years now. And on top of that, I've got a wife and a new six-month-old daughter at home. So that occupies a, a good amount of my time. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. But cycling, talking about cycling, which one is your background? Are you a cyclist or you're just like, you just like to organize gravel events? Yeah, I started as a participant myself and an athlete. I started in mountain biking and I uh, raced for about a decade before um, getting involved with Dirty Kansas a full time. So um yeah that that's how i got started and then uh joined in with the folks that were had created dirty kansas and helped them start to expand this event great uh can i ask you how many bicycles do you have in your storage <laughs> that's a great question my uh, wife is only an inch shorter than myself so we get to share bicycles and between the two of us we have i think five bicycles and one tandem and mm. with our daughter only being six months old, it's only a matter of time before she starts adding some bikes here in the next year or two. So, but it's not too many, I would say. We can count for sure the tandem as 
a one bike yeah. plus five, just six yeah. into makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I love that your that you that your reaction is oh that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But you, I believe that all the people that are listening to us in that moment right now, actually, I don't believe that they were considered six too many. I would yeah. say. I interview people that they were telling me, okay, I can count till eight without counting the one of my wife. Plus, I have something more that is better for me not to mention. So there are people out there that they have also 10, 12 bicycles. Absolutely. So we all know that, you know. We are all yeah. insane about that. But at, at the end, you need those ones. You have oh, for absolutely. sure a commuter. Then you have a road bike, maybe uh, an aluminum, uh, sorry, maybe a steel road bike for the cobalt rides. Then a carbon bike. You don't want to miss this one. And then you have gravel bikes. And then you have mountain bikes. And then you have the tandem. Mm-hmm. You need things and maybe yeah. if you are one of those people you need also a foldable one yeah 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 you don't so, see too many of the foldable commuter commuters in the united states yet but hopefully that's something we can change you know a, a big part of what we hope to achieve as cyclists um is we love seeing how popular gravel is becoming but we'd love to see just cycling in all forms take off even more here in the states uh, I remember that they've done this exactly very, very same question to Neil Rogers. Neil Rogers is one of the uh, reporter journalists of the Cycling Tips uh, podcast as well, and Cycling Tips in general. And I want to actually ask this question as well to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think we are seeing this explosion of gravel rides and the gravel bicycle and gravel cycling? Yeah, so I can't speak to what's going on over in Europe, but in the United States, Mm -hmm. um, mountain biking was already dwindling in participation, and uh, road cycling was definitely dwindling in participation. And road cycling, historically here in the United States, has been very rigid, um, very strict with the rules, and it was very much racer-oriented. It was geared for those who wanted to compete explicitly. Whereas gravel, when it started to take off, it was very much experiential. It was based on the experience you were having and not the competition so much. And I think that just simply spoke to uh, so many uh, cyclists who were not being served by road and mountain bike and even cyclocross, even though cyclocross is doing well and thriving in the United States. And you couple that with these roads that have always existed, but no one was really exploring. And so here you had this new frontier, this almost this uh, new new place to explore that even though it was always there, people just weren't riding on it. So it kind of had this new factor to it. And so you couple that with the experience people were having and this these epic rides that were just, you, you, everyone asked the question, can I even finish that? I don't know, but I'll sure try. And uh, that's the attitude, and that was the mentality that people had, and and Dirty Kansas and other gravel events provided the opportunity for them to um, really test their limits and be focused on the camaraderie and the completion of the event and not um, having rivals and competing against everyone else around them. They were really, everyone views themselves as in the same boat and trying to work together to achieve a common goal, which is just a finish. Yeah, I can completely see the point. Actually, is a new way of exploring without being competitive. Exactly. That's exactly I right. love that thing. Yeah. Also because this is actually my full spirit in the cycling world. 
I'm not really into the competitive side of cycling because I'm not a comp- I'm not competitive in nothing. So I can completely see myself placed at that moment completely good in the gravel cycling. But yeah. you were mentioning, uh, we mentioned this a lot. It's actually the elephant in our room at that moment, at point, but it makes sense because you're one of the organizers. What is, if you can give me a description in a few words, what's the Dirty Cancer 200 or the Dirty Cancer in general? Yeah, so we now have to say just Dirty Kanza. When the event started in 2006, it was the Dirty Kanza 200. There was only one distance, 200 miles, um, which is roughly 300 kilometers. So a big, a big day on the bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, But over the years, as we've evolved, we've opened up other distances to where now we have six events happening on the same weekend. There is a high school race just for high school age students. And then there's a 25, a 50, a 100, a 200. And now, as of this year, a 350-mile choice that uh, people can choose to participate in. Yeah. And that one uh, took the winners about 26 or 27 hours to complete. So there's a lot happening, Dirty Kansas Weekend. Um, but in a nutshell, it's a, it's, a, it's a gravel race. And even though we just talked about how the focus is on the experience and not the competition, anytime you have a few people lining up on the same start line, there will always be some who want to go out there and race it. And, and we like to recognize those that do it a little bit quicker. But um, we always put the same amount of energy and focus into our very last rider as we do our very first rider. So um, that's, that's kind of a nutshell what, what we've got going on. So we can say that actually um, the competition itself, so the competitive side itself is more into the participant side than in the organizer. For you, doesn't make really, let's, I will put it in that way, correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. Uh, it doesn't make any sense actually win or not, but it's more important, it's most important. The most important thing is to actually take care about everybody. Yeah. Who's participating, right? I know that there was also some. There were actually some trouble this year. Remember, for the uh, women's side of Dirty Cans, I've heard about something mm-hmm. like that. But it's really something that you really don't care about the competitive side. I'm correct. Yeah, there were there were some people who got a little upset with they felt in the way that our women's champion had uh, raced, but uh, she she didn't do anything wrong or anything illegal. She didn't do anything against the spirit of the event. She completed it the course faster than anyone else. And I think um, there will always be some that that always scrutinize every victory. Uh, you see this in pro, in pro road cycling, especially in Europe. Um, they've got a little bit of a different problem with uh, performance-enhancing drugs, but uh, every achievement, I think, gets some level of scrutinization. But here at Dirty Kanza, our whole mission is to provide a life-enriching experience for every participant. And that's why I say... We, we love our winners, we love our champions, but we also love everybody that finishes our ride because it changes you. It, uh, it does enrich your life and, and give you the confidence to go out and do things that you didn't think were possible before. And so that's why we focus on every single rider and not just the folks that win or finish the fastest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, great point of view. But before everything to start... 
there was some race that actually you took as a model before to organize the first Dirty Kansa. Do you have something in mind? Yeah, Dirty Kansa was not the first gravel ride, far from it. In fact, I had mentioned the first Dirty Kansa was in 2006. Um, there were gravel rides, quite large and successful gravel rides right here in Kansas in the 90s, um, maybe into the early 2000s, the Flint Hills Death Ride was going on. It was an 80-ish mile gravel ride, um, but it, it never, it kind of faded out and uh, gravel at large didn't take off. And it wasn't until 2005 that up in Iowa, they did an event called Trans-Iowa. And they started the year before we did, and, and Jim Cummins and Joel Dyke um, had seen that event and thought, well, wow, we've got some great roads and could do an event very similar to this. And Trans-Iowa had its last running this year in 2018, and they folded up their operation and, and won't be offering that event again. So some of these events kind of run their course, but that was definitely an early pioneer, if you will, in this whole gravel movement. Okay, okay, can see the point. But there are for sure some differences between the Dirty Kansa and the other yes. one, right? Yes, you know, Dirty Kansa made some uh, pretty crucial changes along the way that really accelerated our growth. You see gravel in the early stages, all the gravel events were um, free of charge and offered no level of support whatsoever. So in other words, you know, Trans-Iowa was 300, over 300 miles, um, usually 320 to 340 miles long. And you were expected to do it entirely on your own, only stopping to resupply at the little towns that you went through on the route. But you could have no support crews, you could have no assistance, you could have no aid on course from anyone else, no one to help you. If your bike broke down, you had to fix it yourself, and um, no one could meet you with food and water and, and all that sort of thing. Well, what we were learning is that the participants really enjoyed that, but it spoke to a very small and niche crowd of people that were willing to take on a challenge like that. And furthermore, their friends and families couldn't enjoy in the event with them. So we made a pretty drastic change to allow support crews to help out at the aid stations. And we noticed that the growth really accelerated after doing that because not only were the bike riders having an enjoyable time, but their family members were having an enjoyable time and could see them and participate and, and help in their success, so to speak. Um, so Dirty Kansas throughout the years has made some changes to the original gravel formats that, and even the original formats of our race itself, which started out very similar to Trans-Iowa. And it made it more accessible to more and more people. And that's why I think our, there's a lot of contributing factors, but that has helped our event to grow and, and be very sustainable. Okay, I really can see the point. But we all know that Dirty Cancer is the toughest, one of the toughest events in the gravel, right? The first thing that I heard about Dirty Cancer was that time that I interviewed Paul Arrington, who is actually the guy who is organizing the... It's one of the biggest personality in Europe about gravel rides and actually is the one who was organizing the Grind Duro. And he told me, yeah, I believe that the toughest ride that I ever done was the dirty, the race that I ever done is the Dirty Cancer because it destroyed my moral, it destroyed my body and it destroyed as well my bicycle. But what are the factors? I'm mentioning here, probably we can mention the five factors that makes the Dirty Cancer so tough and impossible. Yeah, so um, I, well, I'll try to get to five, but uh, there's uh, a few that 
Yeah, there's a few that come to mind. Obviously, the distance, um, 200 miles, which is our original uh, course offering, that's a long way on on a bike. A double century on the pavement is a long, difficult ride, and, and there are very few fondos even that, that touch that distance. So just the sheer distance of it. Secondly, you factor in the road surface type. These gravel roads are very, very difficult. Um, in a lot of ways, similar to some of the pave you might see on um, Paris-Roubaix, of course, only much, much smaller rocks, not the big stones uh, like that. But if you're just trying to wrap your head around about how tough these roads are, it's very close to mountain biking and less similar to road road racing. So those two factors make it very difficult. And then the Flint Hills of Kansas are not flat. It is, you know, Kansas has a history or a reputation, I should say, of being very flat. And we don't have mountains here, uh, but we do have endless rolling hills. We say it's a death by a thousand cuts. A lot of, you know, all these little hills, they just add up and they accumulate in your legs and make it very, very difficult over the course of that distance. Uh, so there's, there's number three. Number four, and this is probably a very, very important one, the, uh, the wind. Because Kansas does not have mountains, we have, and we don't have a lot of trees, it's open prairie, we have lots and lots of wind. Um, so that's a very challenging aspect of the ride. Um, and then if I could just add a fifth one in there, this is kind of similar to the distance, but even over the course of 200 miles, I did mention that you do have aid support. But that aid support only comes every 50 to 60-ish miles, typically, depending on the course. So you are on your own for big stretches of uh, the course. And you can only have two or three spots where your support crew can help you. So um, all of that adds up to be very fatiguing, not only physically for the body, but mentally for the mind. And uh, you just get to a point where um, your body's ready to give up and you've got to will your mind to keep going more than anything. Yeah, I can see. So during the stops or the food stops and whatever, only your crew can help you. There are not food stops organized by you or stuff. Correct. We do have a neutral crew for hire service, but that is a, an extra service that you can purchase if you cannot travel with a friend or family member who can be your support crew. Now, the only thing we do offer that's neutral to all racers is SRAM is a fantastic partner of ours, and they have a mechanic um, and their van at each of the checkpoints. So at the checkpoints, if you need expert mechanical service, SRAM is there to assist. Okay, but that's it. Otherwise, that's it. you have to count on yourself, your crew, the food that they can provide you and that's stuff. That's absolutely like correct, yep. Okay, now I can understand actually why it's so tough, this race. Now I figured out a bit more about that. I was not considering, I can be completely sincere, I was not considering the wind, but at the end of the day, Kansas is, as you were saying, not so many trees, so... That and, you know, 200 miles, um, you, you might have tailwind for some of the day, but you're almost guaranteed to have headwind for... Typically 100 miles. Half of the course is usually going to be cross or tailwind, and the other half is going to be cross and headwind. So that's a long time to be going straight into a 30 mile per hour wind. 
Yeah. And on the other side, but you can you see in this kind of situation, I don't know, uh, a pack of riders that are organizing themselves and, I don't know, following each other and, you know? Yes, but uh, again, that kind of goes back to the challenge of the road surface type. The gravel is, is so difficult in such a way that it's very hard to keep a group of more than gosh, maybe five, six people together, really, because you can't form a pace line or an echelon um, because uh, if the wind's coming from a diagonal and you have to fan out across the road, um, the road's too technical, too difficult for people to get in a nice straight line and stay in a row. So it becomes very complicated to draft off one another Um, and that's, again, it all goes into that challenge. You, you really can't help each other very much shelter from the wind. Oh, okay. See the point. Uh, I think that I was, uh, was having a look around actually after talking with Paul Arrington about the race, then I started having a look also to some videos and stuff. Okay. Famous video this year is the one that the guys of GCN have done. Yes. Um, yeah. exactly um, they were participating to that and apart from that also the Project Y one pretty pretty mm-hmm. interesting I will link it down below it's pretty interesting it's unlisted right now and the thing that I've noticed is that there is also a consistent I would say participa- participation of women to this race how are you seeing this trend can you see really yes. this trend is it cool is it no that's not a question it's cool but can you yeah. see this trend for sure it's growing Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that because this is actually something we were very intentional about. In 2016, we only had about just short of 10% female participation. So if we look at the 200-mile distance specifically, we had a cap back then of about 1,000 riders in the 200-mile distance. That means of 1,000, only 100 were women. It's a very small percentage, 900 men, 100 women. And we knew that we wanted more women to be participating in this because what we were seeing is those women had the same finish rate and the same finishing average time as the men. So we knew they were doing it every bit as well, but they they had a lot of fears to participate. So in 2017, we started a new campaign called 200 Women, Uh, 200 miles. And the intention was is to go from 100 women to 200 women. We wanted to double the women's field. Well, we did that in just an hour's time. When we opened registration, we had 200 women in only one hour because we were we were sending the message out there that you guys, you you ladies are capable um, and we want you here at this race. We want you here. And so we've reserved these 200 spots for you come registration time. So we were very blown away. We thought it would take two years, let alone one hour, to fill those 200 spots for women. We were very, very excited. And then in 2018, we had about 200 and, uh, 260 women maybe uh, registered, so about 26% in the 200-mile distance and about 31% across all of the distances. So we've been working very hard to show the women that um, gravel is a place for them, that, that cycling is a sport for them, because this is not unique to just uh, gravel cycling, or at least it wasn't at the time. Uh, women in general do not participate in great numbers um, as the men do in cycling. And so uh, we wanted them to enjoy all the same things that we were. 
Yeah, exactly. I can see this one as a really point that we all should work on opening up the the participation of women on our sport. And I can tell you that that's a trend that I've seen pretty clearly while I was living in Berlin. I was taking part at so many rides. I was part of at least three or four groups. And over there, I really saw the number of women joining the group rides really growing a lot That's from fantastic. one to and then coming to half of the of the of yeah half of the batch of the bench of half of the group and that's really nice i will try to work as well on the same thing here in switzerland um opening up a bit the message because here is a bit more conservative side but i believe that we if we can really broad up this message over there everything would be better because as you were saying probably in the endurance sport or in general in sport in general, in life, women are capable to do these kind of things. Absolutely. Way more than us. So Yeah. And, you know, we definitely want to work on the women uh, today who are cycling, but it's really the, the young girls that really should be a big part of the focus because, especially here in the United States, I don't know how it is over there, but um, we have a real bad habit of defining what are activities for boys and what are activities for girls. And um, in how we um, describe what is male and what is female and what it really comes down to is um, cycling, uh, of course, should not fall into one or the other, but should be encouraged by both. And then as women, as our young women do uh, get a little older and start families, we as men need to share in the burden of child rearing and share in the burden of cooking the meals and keeping the home and tell our significant others and our wives that um, you do you have goals and ambitions and let me support you in training for cycling events. Um, that's really what it comes down to. And so giving them the message at all levels that this is something they should aspire to do and that we're here to support them in achieving those goals. Yeah, they are really golden words from your side. And uh, I believe that you're doing, I was actually checking your uh, campaign, 200 women for 200 miles. And uh, yeah, probably, I believe that in many ways, the participants on the Dirty Cancer, they are going to, the familiar part of participants in the Dirty Cancer is going to grow, grow and grow because I believe that also these uh, content networks that I was mentioning before, they really showed, especially on the gravel side, but in general, how also women can be part of cycling and they can really participate on these tough rides without any problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, going back to our questions is, uh, okay, I have something, no, I took note about something here, uh, between my freestyle. Yeah, I was actually wanted, I wanted actually to ask you, do you really participate, do you usually participate to Dirty Kansa on, uh, uh, on the year or you just take care about participating? And if not, or if yes, you participate also to other gravel rides or gravel road or gravel race? Well, that's a great question. I can proudly say that uh, all members of our team, our, our ownership team, has finished a Dirty Kansas 200-mile ride at some point. Uh, Jim and myself last completed the race in 2008, though. And so that tells you how long it has been since we've even participated because it's just gotten so big that um, it requires all of our attention to organize and put on that weekend. So we don't get to participate anymore, but we have completed the event. And so we know what it's like from that perspective. So because we can't do Dirty Kansas, we do get out there and try to do other events. Now, for me personally, 
I haven't been able to do quite as many. Like I mentioned, I have a six-month-old daughter at home. And in addition to organizing um, Dirty Kanza, I am also a co-owner of Gravel City Adventure, which is a bike shop here in our hometown. So um, very busy guy, and, and I don't get to ride as much as I used to. But we do think it's important to get out there and experience the other events and show support to those events because there are some other great ones out there. Um, the Land Run 100. Uh, and this is Bobby Wintle is the guy that puts on this event and I'll get you his contact information, but he's absolutely someone you should talk to. He's created, uh, created a great event in our neighbor to the South, Oklahoma, the state just to the South of us. So we think it's great. Uh, there's a lot of great events out there and we get out to as many as we're able to. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah, for sure. I will, uh, I will for sure contact because this one, as you were mentioning, was another race that actually Paul was mentioning in my interview, but yeah. You're right. I need to contact him. So, yeah, I don't get to ride as much these days, but it's important. And, and we want to be authentic and if we want to continue to be relevant and putting on the world's premier gravel event. We've got to know uh, what's going on out there. Yeah. So you never come here to Europe to do some gravel events. One of these uh, we need to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to come here, there are a couple of things that they're doing also here in Switzerland. If you want to come here, give me a shout. Oh, nice. We're going to participate to that together. <laughs> There's a brand new one uh, on the island of Majorca uh, <laughs> that uh, some folks are putting on. I think we need to go uh, attend that one. Toros de Gravel, right? That's right. Toros de Gravel. Go. Yeah, yeah, it's organized by some people that I interview in this podcast as some friend of mine. So it's Jan, Eric, and Bregan. Yeah, organizing okay, it. You know Bregan. Bregan. Really, yeah, Bregan is a good friend of mine. And uh, we were living, the both of us, in Berlin. Uh, we were riding together quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be great. there for the whole long weekend. So you're not going to be there, unfortunately, then. Yeah, not this year. With a kid, that's a bit complicated. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh-huh. maybe next time. But yeah, I'm super excited for that. I hope that I good. can take my bicycle over there well, let's see let's see oh uh, you've got if you're going you've got to take your bicycle i know i know i know i know i will do that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah but moving back the topic on the participant itself mm-hmm. i just don't want to make a polemic question but that's why actually people maybe like also to listen <laughs> to me because i'm a pretty sarcastic pe- person and doing uh-huh. also uncomfortable question so they just Let's say, talk a bit about money. I was checking around your participation fee, and then I was checking around as well what you are giving to the people for the participation fee. Then the fee, and actually, I can consider that for doing the two hundred miles event, so the Dirty Cancer two hundred, you are asking for two hundred euros. And because everything, all the support is given actually by your support crew, don't you think that is a bit expensive? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the beautiful thing about price is, is it's really market driven, right? And yes. so, and obviously we, we believe in the experience that we're, we're providing and, uh, it really is something you just have to experience, but, um, really what it would come down to is if the experience was not worth it, people would not come yet. Even though the price is $200 for the 200 mile distance, we actually have a lottery just to see who comes to the race. And there are many, many people, thousands of people who um, aren't able to come because we don't have enough room for them. So the experience, and that doesn't really answer your question other than to say the market really determines the price of anything, even a, a cycling event. Um, but our experience really is, we feel unparalleled. We think it's fantastic. And there are a lot of factors that go into that. The city of Emporia 
where we host the event, the start and finish, um, it turns out in droves. They are thousands of spectators and fans that welcome these riders and treat them like rock stars. And the Flint Hills of Kansas are really a beautiful, the course is beautiful and unlike any other. Um, we have an entire weekend of events and activities that really all factor into the price. So it's not just a ride on one day. It's an entire weekend of festival and activities and um, things going on that make the person feel like they're getting an extraordinary value. And on top of that, the, our sponsors really do support the riders in a great way, and they have fantastic swag and, and um, stuff that they get for registering for the event. So there is some physical value there to the things that you're receiving. But really, what in a nutshell, what it comes down to is People are hungry for an opportunity to see what they're made of, to push their limits, because it is not very often that we get a chance to really put ourselves to our limit and to see if we're capable of pushing past that and completing an objective and a goal. And that experience has value. And for us, that value is $200. I can actually maybe summarize your question in saying, okay, 200 euros are worth it, not because it's only a race, but because of the whole experience that you're getting there. Exactly. Okay. The entire experience. Exactly. Okay. Okay. It makes sense. You shut my mouth in that moment. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's... That's difficult to always see in a video. And in the early years, as Dirty Kanza was growing, what helped us grow so much was word of mouth, because you really have to be here to experience the whole thing. Yeah. So once you come over and you experience it, then you might go back and then you can say, yeah, that was worth 200 euro. This sounds like an invite. It does. And it is. <laughs> okay. Okay um yeah another couple of topics that still i want to um to touch base here to take uh are i don't know from where to start i would probably start from the last one uh how would you see the growth or the development of dirty cancer for next year or for next years yeah so there's actually three things that we still see going And um, so I, I mentioned the women's initiative. This is something that we are very committed to see grow. We could have just stopped in that very, in 2017, when we reached our goal of 200 women, we could have stopped there and said, great, we achieved our goal. Um, but we didn't stop there. And in 2018, this past year, this, you know, just a few months ago, this year's event, We um, challenged the industry to bring their female employees to the expo. We said, if you have female engineers, if you have female marketing you know, employees, bring them to the expo, make them the face of your company and show the world that women don't only belong on the race course and riding their bikes, but they belong in the industry as well. Yeah. And that's a message that we're going to continue to show is we don't just want to say, hey, ladies, you should also do this event. We want to say that cycling, all of cycling, road and mountain bike and cyclocross, the cycling industry is a space that you can participate in and you should because it's fantastic. So we want to continue to spread that message and we'll continue spreading that message next year. Another area that the United States does not do well is youth development. Okay. Um, I said earlier that we have a high school race. This is our secondary school, if you will. Um, these are uh, 14 to 18-year-olds typically. 
And so these are a little bit older youth, but that's an area that we wanted to target first. And from there, we'll continue to target ages younger and younger than that. So we want to see more youth, more families participating in different ways. And we have a lot of events and activities that we're going to introduce in 2019 that will make that very possible. Um, So that's really exciting. And then the third area is this 350 mile ride. Now, this one is this is a whole different animal, if you will. And we only piloted it in 2018. It was a test ride just to see if it was a good idea. And it turns out it was a good idea. So we, we will look for that to grow in 2019. And we will see that, you know, 13 years in, the 200-mile distance is being achieved by more and more people that they were actually asking for a bigger challenge. They wanted an even bigger um, opportunity to explore and experience the gravel roads. And so that's what we've developed is a 350-mile ride, one-day ride. So... Those are some of the innovations we have coming and that we're continuing to explore and work on. Um, And then who knows beyond that what the future holds. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity um, across the globe. You're seeing it in Europe, more and more gravel events popping up. Um, we, you, and you mentioned Paul Arrington, he's a very good friend of ours and we'd love to bring our brand of organizing and gravel experience over to Europe maybe someday. So maybe we will expand and, and start creating opportunities or at least partner and work with some of the people who are over there and, and see if we can't make, um, a, f- a fantastic top notch gravel event, uh, in the heart of Europe somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope so. Even if, you know, a lot of events that you were mentioning also before are popping back, popping up here in Europe. And I'm super, super happy for that. But really the smell and the spirit and the experience that you can feel and hear and almost not yet, but also you can really leave when you're participating to that. The experience that you can right. have over there on the Dirty Kansa is, wow, it's something incredible. It's something magic, I would mm-hmm. say. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. The last question that I want to tell, to ask you uh, is actually, I don't know, if there would be somebody who wants to participate to the next Dirty Kansa next year or whatever. And yeah. right now we are, uh, this is Monday, September the 17th at the moment. And okay, I want to participate the 1st of June or the beginning of June to the Dirty Kansa next year. What would you suggest to this person in terms of what to bring for the uh, for the ride, what to expect from the ride, and how to train for the ride? Well, let me start by uh, telling them how they can register. They need to go to dirtykansa.com, and they'll see a registration tab. And under that are our various distances. Um, but the DK 200, 150, and 25 that um, opens up on January 1st, and they have two weeks to put their name in in hopes to be selected through the lottery uh, process. And the DKXL starts actually December 1st. It happens even sooner. So the f- step one is to put your name in for um, in, in hopes that you get selected. And then if you are selected, then you need to start uh, uh, really wrapping your head around how to prepare and how to train for this thing. And um, so in the United States, 
it, it might maybe is a little bit easier, especially if they live in the Midwest because they can train in the similar conditions on the, on similar gravel roads and and that sort of thing. But in Europe, um, while you do have gravel roads and old cobblestone, it's not quite the same as what we have here in in the Flint Hills of Kansas. Um, so maybe do some mountain biking. Definitely explore some of the more rugged roads, um, some rugged off-road opportunities. Put in big mileage. I mean, 200 miles is a big, big ride, and you need to be prepared for that. You, not only physically, you do need to physically be able to push your bike for that long, but you need to know how your mind's going to react and how um, you'll be able to combat yourself mentally when you're ready to give up and your mind is telling you to just stop. Uh, you have to have had that experience prior to know that you're going to, um, how you're going to push through that and, and how you're going to keep pedaling. Because like I said earlier, I really think it's more of a mental um, proposition than a physical one. Even though it is such a long ride, it, you really have to overcome your own mind and tell yourself that you're not going to quit and that you're going to keep going. So prepare yourself mentally in, uh, in that way. Okay. Okay. Sounds cool. Sounds like a huge challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It is. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, great. Okay, cool. So, Leland, what else? If you want to add something, you have the space now. Oh, excellent. Well, what I'll say is I, I've mentioned that there are various distances, and the 200 mile is our premier ride. And so I certainly challenge you, if that is an appropriate uh, distance for you, then you should take on that challenge. But if you're more of a recreational cyclist and you think that's just way too far and I don't have the time or the desire, remember, we have other distances that a person can come and experience. And they're all on these same gravel roads um, that are that have made us so famous. And so um, 100 miles or even 50 miles, if that's more of a challenge for you, then start with the appropriate challenge and test yourself. And then if, if you complete that task, then move up to a bigger distance. Um, because now that we have a 350 mile, I think we really have a challenge that's appropriate for everyone from 25 miles to 350 miles, uh, from the best in the world to just starting on a bike. We really have um, something for everyone to experience. So Yeah, uh, just I have another curiosity, then I will leave you alone, really. I've read around, I don't remember in which website or magazine or whatever, that there is the possibility to see some armadillos during the Dirty Pecans. Is it possible? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you'll see all kinds of wildlife and uh, rabbits and armadillos and deer. Um, so, like I said, you're, you're out. That's what makes part of the allure is you are far from civilization. You are out in the prairie. You're out in the wild. It feels like you're out in the wild west. And you were asking about why it's so valuable. Well, because it's a really, um, a really ex an experience that is so unique that um, there is um, a good value to that. And so, and it, that's hard to just describe you and I talking about it or me just telling you about it. You really have to experience that for for oneself. You know, somebody has to get out there and see what that's like to to understand that it's you and your bike against all of the elements and you, it's up to you to get yourself back to the next town and then ultimately to the finish line. And, and that's a really powerful thing for people. So, yeah, okay. I got the message. If you want to really experience you, me, everybody over there, just be tuned. Go on the website, dirtycansa.com for the 1st of, of January. 
to get inside your name of it and wait for the lottery to choose your name and then you know the place where to go, right? Emporia in the 1st of January. Oh, this, uh, the 1st of June. I'm not really good with dates today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lilan. It was really a great pleasure to talk with you. Wow, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Cool. I will talk to you soon and enjoy your day at the moment. <laughs> you as well. And thanks, Leland. It was really a pleasure to talk with you. And I really want to participate to Dirty Cancer. Do I have to do it? Guys, tell me if I have to do it. Where? You know where. Hello at calamaro.cc. That's my email. Instagram.com slash calamaro.cc. Facebook.com slash calamaro.cc. Twitter.com slash readcalamaro. This is different. Also different is Spotify. But you have just to look for Broomvagon over there. Apple Podcast, same thing. Look for Broomvagon and subscribe. Pushing the button. And don't forget about Spreaker, even different URL. Spreaker.com slash listencalamaro. I have to say thank you to you for listening to me. And it's good that you are going to come with me. Remember, stay really close to my social media this weekend because I'm going to be together with Lele at La Resistance in Ansi. Hopefully, his, my hands are going to get better. I'm not completely sure. I hope so. Finger crossed, but I cannot even f- cross my finger because it, they are hurting. And uh, so listen to that. You're going to find some... Listen to that. Look at that. Check that. You're going to have a look for sure. And you're going to see some Instagram stories and some comments. And I'm going to record something like over there. Let's going to figure it out how it is going to happen. And share this episode because we all live gravel rides and we all live dirty cancer though so just share this episode in your whatever social media twitter facebook whatever or send out email to people that like like us gravel rides and gravel adventure thanks to you thanks to my sponsor 3t and to the 3t explorer that they provided me and for now good night or good morning or have a nice day bye bye anyways (music) 